Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So it's not always easy to understand like why a person thinks the way they do. And I think it can be really frustrating when you're talking to somebody else, right? And I don't know, Connor, have you ever had like a debate or a discussion with someone you disagree with and you found yourself just like ready to rip your hair out, right? Because they can't see things from your perspective. Have you had that happen? Never. <laughs> Never <laughs> have I experienced anything like that. Uh, no, I mean, the, the internet just gives you daily opportunity, I feel like, especially if you're at all on social media, which most of the kids probably aren't. And that is a good thing in my in my book. Yep. But, you know, as you mature and you start kind of participating in social media, if that's something you want to do, you see that you see all the time of just disagreement and conflict and people who like in my experience, it's like, wait a minute, I, I think these principles are true. I, I think that, let's say, capitalism and entrepreneurship is the best way to lift humanity out of poverty. And so then you get all these like socialists and communists and people who just spout crazy ideas and nonsense. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you even think that way? And am I ever going to be able to get through to someone like that? Or is it just like a like, should I just, you know, give up hope on them and move yep. on to somebody else? <laughs> I think it even gets even harder. And this is something I brought up before. I think it's easy for us to be like, oh, they're a socialist. They're dumb. They don't know anything. And I've met a lot of very smart socialists. I know we hate to think that. That doesn't mean that they're, you know, they can think things through in every area. But I think it's almost more frustrating to me when I meet somebody who's generally logical. Um, they don't agree with them. But then it's like, okay, you seem like a reasonable person. Why can't you see things from my point of view? And that gets that that to me gets even harder. So why does this happen? Obviously, the way we view the world or our perception or perspective on things, the way we you know view things are shaped by like our mindsets and our mindsets that comes from our unique experiences. And, you know, even Connor, you and I probably have pretty similar beliefs across the board, but even you and I didn't get to our beliefs the same way. You know, I think you said you found, you know, this idea of, you know, liberty and your passion for that by things like questioning war and, you know, the economic collapses. I could be wrong, but I, I think that's yeah. that was a yep. big part for you. Right. Yep. And obviously those were important in in my journey to all this. But initially I became who I am today because somebody bet me that FDR wasn't the best president. And I was like, yes, he was like my college professor told me that he was. And I went on this quest to prove them wrong and couldn't. So just kind of like a funny, you know, it's funny looking back at it, but you and I got to a similar place from very different angles. And, you know, for others that also agree with us on a lot of things, maybe their thing was they had like an encounter with like a corrupt police officer and learned, you know, distrust the system, or maybe they had a bad encounter with the IRS, which I don't know anyone that has had yeah. a good encounter with <laughs> the IRS. You know, maybe they put their faith in a politician who let them down and, and all this led to them, you know, they stopped trusting government. And each of these different experiences, again, shaped their perspective, and they all started believing in the importance of individualism and you know, keeping the government in check. And these are all relatable to you and I because we agree, right? And it's important to understand where a person is coming from, though, even when they don't agree with us. And if we don't, it's going to be really hard to have a productive conversation. And um, you mentioned, you know, internet and arguing. And I'll be honest, a lot of times nowadays, I don't even have conversations or like debates because I don't think people are able to see each other's perspective and where they're coming from. So I think this is a, a really interesting thing to talk about 
because of that. So Connor, I'm going to ask you some questions and I want to see how you respond. So let's say, or put you in some scenarios rather, let's say you were having a debate with someone who believes in like a big welfare state so that people should, we have like this giant safety net and we take taxpayer dollars and, you know, provide food for people who can't afford food, things like that. So, you know, initially you probably want to talk to them about how wrong it is for government, you know, to steal from us through taxation or, you know, how unjust that is. But instead, you decide to listen to the other person's perspective before you make your case against, you know, this big welfare state. So this person begins to tell you a story about like their upbringing, right? And they're getting very emotional. And and they tell you that their family was really poor because their parents, you know, were laid off during the Great Recession, which happened when you and I were in our 20s. You, Yeah, right? 20s. Yeah. Seems like so long ago. Aren't I like um, a decade he, older than you, I think? You're like four years older than me. <laughs> oh, am I? But oh, yes, a decade, okay. a decade. No, eight, I yes. was born in 1985. I think we're pretty close. Oh, you're right. Okay, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yes, please continue believing that. But, um, <laughs> so let's say their parents, you know, lost their jobs during the Great Recession. That was in 2008. And the only reason they were able to have food on the table was because the government, you know, gave them food stamps. And now they believe that the only way to help those in need is to let the government do it for them. So now you're you're thinking, you know, maybe maybe the taxation stance isn't how I should start approaching this debate. Maybe it should be something else. So, Connor, I'm curious to know if you were in this situation how would you approach the situation maybe differently than bringing up the economic side of it? Like, how would you address these concerns? Okay, this is a fun question. Um, with, with that type of background and knowing, you know, because I listened to them and learned a little bit about them, what I think I really learned from from them in this example you shared is their motive, why why they have these opinions, not just what their opinions are, because their opinions are, hey, the government should be in charge of all this welfare spending or whatever, right? That, that's what they believe. But finding out why they believe that can often allow you to redirect them to something better. So what I mean is, let's say I'm talking to this person and I could say something like this. Wow, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me about your upbringing. That sounds really hard. Um, I, I can't, you know, I, I've not experienced anything like that. That, that would be really challenging and I'd, I'd love to learn more about, you know, what that was like. So I can definitely see as a result of those experiences, how you have this very tender heart and you don't want other kids to suffer like you did as a kid and, and you don't want others to go through that type of misery. And, and I think that's totally noble. I think that's, that's awesome. Uh, it's a very kind of, uh, altruistic behavior where you're, you're wanting good for other people. So I, I think that's great. Um, and, and I, I think I share those same values. I don't want people to be <laughs> sick and hungry and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and die. Right. And so, so, so I've done two things right there first. I've, I've, uh, had some empathy, right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about feelings a little bit, you know, and, and talking about our humanity. Um, and then I'm also establishing a common ground. So I'm like, hey, we, we both want don't want people to starve. Look at us. We agree. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and so by being empathetic and, and, and establishing some common ground, no longer am I this adversary or this jerk or this opponent. Right. Instead, I'm, I'm another human being that actually agrees with them on something. Yeah, you know, there's some differences over here, but like, hey, let's let's recognize that we both agree that we got to do something about this. 
we, we come at things from a different perspective about what should be done. Um, I'd love to, you know, share with you why I think that a free market private solution to charity is going to be way better. And uh, let me tell you a story. And the story is about history, about how before the welfare state, there were tons of uh, civics, uh, civil society organizations, basically like nonprofits that would, they would call them oftentimes fraternal organizations. Uh, and, and they would care for one another. They would care for immigrants. They would care for elderly people, orphans, the sick. You know, oftentimes it was churches. Sometimes it was ethnicities. You could join like the Irish, you know, society or whatever. And, and new, new immigrants from Ireland would immediately have this support system, you know, of fellow Irish people. And these were all over the place. I mean, they were all over America. Alexis de Tocqueville, when he came to, to America and he was observing what was going on, he was blown away at this because he said in Europe, every time there's a problem, people just turn to the government. But here in America, again, this is like mid 1800s America. He's like, wow, every time there's a problem, people just start an organization and raise money and encourage people to support. And so these were all over the place. But when the government got involved, people stopped contributing to these private things because they're like, well, wait a minute, I'm being taxed already for welfare. Why am I going to pay taxes for welfare and pay extra money to be part of this fraternal society? And so almost overnight, these mediating institutions, these nonprofits went out of business because people stopped paying and they felt like, well, the government's now taking it over. So, you know, and so to me, that's, that's sad. And because before we had a strong society, now we have strong entitlement and hey, Mr. Person I'm talking to, wouldn't you agree that if, if there was more people in a community voluntarily taking care of one another and stepping up, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with me that that's an ideal above, you know, just getting a check in the mail from a government agency? And so, so I've, I've empathized with them. I've established some common ground. And then I've, I've talked to them about my perspective, not with facts and figures and, you know, taxation is theft, you know, arguments, <laughs> talking points. Instead, I'm, I'm telling a story. And this is why we do what we do with the Tuttle Twins, because when you teach through storytelling, it's so much more powerful to convey ideas. And then, and then that person can start to get into my mind, just like I got into their mind when they shared their story. They can kind of understand how I think and how I'm coming at this because I'm sharing a story with them. That's exactly right. And, you know, I'm a Big story person. That's what I always tell people. I'm not a writer. I'm a storyteller because I think that one, it just sounds yeah. cooler. And two, it's it's so important. So I'm going to put you in another situation because the one above was kind of like somebody who might lean more, not socialist, but you know, might believe in a bigger government. And even though this one is too, it's a little more something you might hear from the other side of the aisle. So imagine you're talking to someone who thinks that we need to lock up like anyone who uses any substance, any drug that is illegal and that we need to keep the drug war going because- if we don't, that's the only way to keep, you know, drugs off the street and stop people from committing crimes. And, you know, if you ask them why they feel this way, maybe they start to tell you about a family member who, you know, died from drugs. And now they believe the only way to stop that is to ban all drugs and send anyone who uses them or sells them, you know, to jail. And they give you this really, really sad story. How would you respond after hearing that? I'll be briefer with this one. I, I've had this conversation a number of times. Um, and to I me, it's, you, might. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, there's there's certainly stories to tell here. Again, I, I want to humanize the situation because I want people I want to connect with people on a human level because that's how people change their hearts and their minds. 
And so I want to tell them stories of patients who uh, want to use some of these drugs or who do use them for medicinal health, you know, benefits, even though they're illegal or they have to travel to some far flung state or country to use them legally and how, you know, the, the medications they're normally on are actually harming them with all the side effects. And then they, Hey, they went to use this other thing and it's actually helping them a bit. And they feel like they're no longer nauseous or depressed or whatever. So I want to tell stories to this person, um, just to help them understand, like, look, if you ban this, um, you know, it's, it, you're actually harming innocent people. And, and the, and, and then typically what I'll tell someone is, um, cause often it's like a Republican or a conservative who will, uh, have this talking point, uh, someone that I generally align with. And I'll say, well, you don't believe that banning guns will stop people from owning mm. guns. It, it's, it'll just prevent the, the law abiding people from having guns while all the criminals still have them. And so it's the same thing with drug prohibition. Drugs are not gone. They're, they're just in the black market. It's like with alcohol prohibition and Al Capone, you had the rise of all these bootleggers and all this organized crime that had never existed before because you made it very profitable for them to have a monopoly on these illegal substances. And so if you want to get rid of the crime, if you want to get rid of the expense, if you want to get rid of all the, the stuff that's been layered on top of this, you have to legalize it. And legalizing it doesn't mean you sanction it. It doesn't mean that you... Uh, agree with it. It doesn't mean that you endorse it. It just means that the best way to encourage people to take care of themselves and and to not cause harm to themselves or others is through persuasion. And, you know, let's educate people. Let's have conversation about this rather than threaten them and say, if you, you know, ingest this substance, I'm going to throw you in a cage for 30 days. <laughs> like that doesn't really persuade anybody. So a bit of storytelling, uh, humanizing, uh, you know, the the situation, but then also um, what I did with the gun example is I'm also showing out there, uh, this is a big term for the kids listening, but it's called cognitive dissonance. And, and cognitive comes from the word like cognition or, or mind. We're talking about mindset here. So it's kind of how your mind works. And dissonance, I don't really know the, the correct definition of this, but it means like two things. Disconnected like you, kind of? No, it, uh, kind of. It, it's like if you play two notes on a piano and they, they both sound bad together because they, they like the, the frequencies or whatever, like those two notes just don't belong together. I think that's kind of what dissonance is. And so cognitive dissonance is holding in your, your head two ideas that conflict with one another. And so this idea that, well, wait a minute, you, you make this one argument on guns and you, you don't think we should ban guns. Um, and yet, and yet you're, on, on the issue of drugs, you're on the completely opposite side. And so you should be consistent and, and apply that same principle to everything rather than have this cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And I think one of the ways we start these conversations and in, in what you were saying is asking what I think is the most important question, not just in these situations, but one of the most important questions you can ever ask in life. And that is why? Just one word. Why? Yeah. Because once you say why you're opening um, the door to actually understand what somebody is thinking. And we don't ask that enough, I don't think. I think, um, so Socrates, there's something called the Socratic method. And Socrates, this philosopher, he, that was his whole thing is that we need to constantly be asking people why. So you ask, you let's say you teach something. I used to do this when I was a teacher. If a student would raise their hand and they would say something, I would say, why? 
why and keep asking them why to get them to dig deeper into yeah. into their answer and why they thought that, which can be really annoying if you're the person who's constantly being asked <laughs> why. But I think why is a simple thing that just opens the door and so you can see where these people are coming from. And I think that's really important. And I know it challenges me too. Like if I'm in those situations and someone were to ask why, because I do right. become, I don't want to say overly logical because I think we are very, both of us are very passionate on making sure that you're not just using feelings, right? There's like the whole, your feelings are not facts thing that people say a lot, but I think it's right. like most things in life. It's kind of a combination of two things. You can't, you know, if you're one extreme or the other, it's not always good. So I think it's a combination of of storytelling, but also just sitting and asking people why. I don't know if you've ever made use of that, but that's what I think is one of the most powerful. I, I, I think do. that's powerful too. I, I imagine the parents listening get that question plenty from their kids. <laughs> you know, why do I have to do this? You know, why, <laughs> why did you say that I can't, uh, you know, watch this movie or whatever? Um, but, but as you get older and we have these deeper conversations, I think, I think what's very important is thinking about our thinking, mm, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're shaping your mindset, you know, this whole topic we're talking about, how, to, how your mindset influences your perspective, your understanding of things. And so it's not enough to just think thoughts. We need to also think about our thinking. Why do we have the thoughts that we do? Why do we have the behaviors that we do? Why do we find it so hard to improve? Why do we react so negatively when we're debating with somebody or, you know, we're quick to judgment? And, and so being able to analyze your own thoughts and behaviors is a really powerful way to improve. So we could go on uh, this for quite a while. Maybe we should do a part two of this because this <laughs> yeah. is so important of talking about how we can cultivate a good mindset and analyzing our thinking so that we can set ourselves up uh, for success. For now, we're going to call it quits and, and uh, move on to the next one. Brittany, great talking to you as always. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.